Before we begin, just giving you an update on our new subscription. It's called Dave McWilliams Plus on Apple. You just double click, you get no ads, and you get me and John, pure and simple. And Mac, you get early access episodes. Did you know that? Sure. My day is made. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time. It's the Tuesday podcast. And John... We're back in the Orange Lodge, Mac. We're back in the Orange Lodge. It feels loyal. It feels strong. <laughs> it feels loyal. It feels... Uh, <laughs> Permanent. Aye. It feels it's been here for many years. Aye, aye. Uh, it's not going anywhere. Uh, it's great to be back in the lodge. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, I love that carry on. What a summer, huh? What, what a, a summer. summer. Yeah, yeah, we're now into the early days of autumn, and I want to talk about Mikhail Gorbachev, Gorbachev. who passed away last week. Yeah, One of the greats. Yeah, and you had an encounter with him. I did. I met him. I met him and I chatted to him for ages. And uh, I also think that of all the politicians in the world, he has most influenced my life. It's a really? bizarre thing to say as somebody who's not it's a citizen. quite a claim, actually. Yeah, I think that the world that he ushered in is my world. And the world that's so, you know, people always ask me, you know, why do I go to Eastern Europe? Why do I end up in Croatia? I used to do a lot of work in Serbia, Bulgaria, yeah. all those places. And and I think that it's largely to do with, you know, I first visited Russia in 1987 and became attracted, beguiled, confused, astonished, fascinated by that world, that part yeah. of the world. I mean, and it's a part of the world that at the moment, you know, with the war in Ukraine, is the worst side of Russia. Yeah. I believe. But there's many, many brilliant sides. And and Gorbachev, I think, opened up our world. You wouldn't have globalization without him. Well, well, you wouldn't have the free movement of Before you get him. there, like, because yeah. that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. I want to start with that. That how come Gorby was, was different? Because well, he was really different to all the, the Brezhnevs yeah, yeah. and the Khrushchevs and the... Well, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about... We'll talk about Lenin, we'll talk about Stalin, we'll talk about Khrushchev, we'll talk about Brezhnev. We might even talk about Andropov, Chernyanko, who I believe was dead when he was promoted to yes. the president of the Soviet Union. It was not the joke, it was the Andropov. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, and then Gorbachev. No, but my point is that 
without Gorbachev, you have no globalization. Yeah. You don't have the emergence of China. You don't have the liberation of Eastern Europe. You don't have the free movement of people around the world. You mean there's, there's an enormous amount of things that he, in a very short period of time, instituted. But it was fresh thinking, though. Yeah, and I and, think and you asked the question why. From? I mean, everything up until 1985 suggests that Gorbachev is going to be a younger version of Andropov, who is his KGB mentor. There's no real evidence that Gorbachev is going to change the Soviet Union. He's yeah. going to... Gorbachev wasn't... Was he? he wasn't KGB. No, guy, he wasn't. He wasn't, yeah. but his mentor was. Right, and okay. So suggesting that he will be part, a younger version of the same type of character. And I just think that instinctively, and then the person I met, when you meet somebody, it changes your mind about them as well. Mm. You know, because you're, you're, you see, you look into their face, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you, look into uh, your soul, well, you don't as look into the soul George W. Bush, Bush said about Putin. <laughs> yeah. I can look into his eyes. Uh, but I think instinctively, Gorbachev was a Democrat. And I think instinctively, Gorbachev believed in what I would call sovereign, the individual. He believed that the individual was as mm. important as the collective. But, but where did that idea... I have no did, idea. I've, that's I, the bit that... And that, I don't think anybody has mm. that idea, but I think that on all those very basic calls about human rights, about civil liberties, about protection of the individual, about protection of the dissident, about not using force. Yes, you non-violent. Non-violent. Well, I mean, was, this is this oh. is like this is like he was much more non-violent than Gandhi was. <laughs> there you go, right? Because, and actually, I'll tell you a story about Gandhi. It's different. Gandhi, this is when you met Gandhi. <laughs> no, no, no. This is when I was doing a speech. I was doing a speech in South Africa, and I was bigging up Gandhi in front of an ANC audience, and I thought this was going to go down really well. Yeah. And it didn't, because black Africans don't like Gandhi because they believe Gandhi was racist. Now, that's a really perplexing thing. And I was up there... That's no, no, another pod, I can tell. I was up there talking, giving, giving the socks at Gandhi, yeah. you know, all this sort of stuff. And it fell flat. Fell flat. And I, I said to my mates afterwards, I said, you know, that didn't seem to go very well. They said, yeah, it was the Gandhi thing. <laughs> anyway, that's a different we'll thing. We'll come back to that come another back. day. But, but, but I want to start, John, talking about Gorbachev. And I want to start in August of 1989. Okay. And I am a student, and bizarrely, I decide to go to Prague to mark or to look at the anniversary of the Prague Spring. Now, I always have been a bit odd. When I was can, I, can, I just, can I just stop you there? Let me just put myself back in August 1989. I think I was probably up in Notting Hill at the carnival. You were probably at the carnival. <laughs> you were probably at the carnival, yeah. Much better was. off. You were at the carnival. So the weekend you were at the carnival, right? Yeah. You, you, fucking music man, chilling out. Nerdistan here yeah. is in yeah. Ostbahnhof in East Germany, having got my visa in Brussels for Czechoslovakia. And I actually, they asked me what I did, and I said I was a builder. <laughs> 
because I knew the commies. Like, like I'm the least <laughs> builder in the world. <laughs> you only knew. Exactly. It's the weediest builder you've ever seen. The builder with the softest hands you've ever seen. <laughs> the manicured yeah, builder. Yeah, So because I knew that if you said you were a student or whatever, yeah. they'd be suspicious. So if you say you're a builder, then you're part of the proletariat. Yeah. You're part of the working class. I suppose you don't have to say what you're actually oh, no, building. You, no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> building dreams. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> exactly. But so so I get the train from Brussels to Berlin, to West Berlin. Mm. I go over Checkpoint Charlie with my visa. I go into what was called Ostbahnhof, which was the East Bahnhof. It's now, I think, Hauptbahnhof on the East. I'm not too sure where which, which one it is now. Maybe right. Fre- Frederikstrasse. Maybe Berlin guests can, our listeners can. Can tell it's all me. over my head, that anyway. But anyway, these are all the, the, the mm. geography of Berlin, which yeah, yeah. then was fascinating. You're going through the Checkpoint Charlie, the whole thing, right? And it's a serious regime, East Germany. And then you get on to the, what was called the Deutsches Reichbahn, which is a bit worrying. They kept all the Nazi names in East Germany. Okay. Which the West Germans would never do. And Deutsches Reichsbahn was their very rattly old Soviet train system. And I got this train and... Germany in the summer can be incredibly hot. Yes. Incredibly hot, like really hot. And it's the middle of the German plain and it's roasting. And then you go through East Germany. I remember we arrived at Dresden. And in Dresden, the train snaked through Dresden. Now Dresden is beautiful. But then many buildings in the centre of Dresden were still bombed out from the Second World War. They didn't have the money to refurbish them. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. And then you go through this extraordinary part of... East Germany or former East Germany, down towards Czechoslovakia, and you arrived in Prague, the top of Westendorf Square, right? Mm. And I went down and I looked at a few dozen very brave people who were protesting to mark the 21st anniversary of the Prague Spring. And I have never, ever seen batons and dogs being unleashed on innocent people like I saw that. It was the most shocking thing. I mean, the cops came in from all angles. They came out of paddy wagons, massive trunches. That kind of violence kind of makes you a bit sick. It freaked me out. I yeah. was really shocked. So I was like this Irish kid kind of interested in politics and economics. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I hid up, I remember hiding up a lane. And then I got into a bar and in the bar, there was lots and lots of punters who were chatting. They were, they were drinking Moravian red wine, I remember, and, and singing Moravian love songs to each other. Right, And I okay. got in there and I asked them and they said, well, we saw the protest. They, I said, how many were there? They said, maybe a hundred. And they said, for every real protest, there were three agents provocateurs of the government. Oh, right. To okay. identify the people. So it was so screwed, right? And even then, the Czechs said, look, you know, this regime could be around for a while. There were about, let's say, a hundred people on the street in August 1989. By November 1989, there were a million Czechs on the street and that regime had collapsed. Yeah. But yeah. the Czechs were really cagey because the regime, that was like the, that was the regime that Russians had imposed after the Prague Spring. Yeah. Right? So the Czech regime was incredibly hardline, really orthodox, right? And of course, they had deposed Dubček, the whole That's right. Prague yeah. experiment, yeah. all that sort of stuff, right? But that night... Bizarrely, John. So that night, so imagine, so you're 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 like you're a kid, but you're yeah. you're you're swept up in the madness the of it. Atmosphere must have been amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. But that night, I end up hanging out with an East German Dresden-based biker gang. <laughs> right? 
Okay. You so, didn't have your Vespa at this stage. I didn't have my Vespa, but I was always Unfortunately. In, I was always into bikes, right? And they were they were riding these extraordinary bikes, which are called Dnieper, right? Actually made in Kiev, right? Yeah. Okay, they're called M72s. They are Russian military bikes. They are maybe the most fantastic motorbike that's ever been manufactured. Really? Right? Massive sound. Better than the Harley? Ah, fuck your Harley. <laughs> Harley's only for investment bankers. <laughs> Harley's for fucking hedge fund managers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's These are Russian bikes. These are really, really yeah. fantastic. And of course, what bonded them, I went into a bar and I looked like a total paddy. Yeah. And of course, I had Western clothes, so they, they look, this guy looks different. Yeah. He's these flash. Guys, he's got, yeah, he's fly. He's got his flash <laughs> shit on. So I go into the bar and we start chatting. And I... I can speak pretty all right German. So we're chatting away in German. But of course, it wasn't the German that bonded us. It was Tin Lizzy. Tin Lizzy? They loved Tin Lizzy, right? Really? Yes. Really? So, they'd, so they were asking me, where are you from? I said, Ireland. And all they knew about Ireland was Phil in it. They knew nothing else, right? <laughs> vibe for, for Philo. Vibe for Philo. I tell you, exactly. And what's your man's name, which is a Vibe for Philo? Brush Shields. Oh, yeah, exactly. So I was, I was like an economics version of Brush Shields. <laughs> Right, and because what they did, they smuggled in. Do you remember the the Thin Lizzy album Jailbreak? Yes, yeah, that was, fantastic. And they had a rake of copies, CDs. Yeah. So we sang tonight. There's going to be Jailbreak somewhere in this town yeah. all night on the back of these massive Russian motorbikes. But what was interesting was it. the only man that they held in the same regard as Phil in it was Gorbachev. And that's the interesting thing. Why? Why? Because these were East German guys, right? Yeah. East Germany, the most repressive of By all. By the way, the these weren't the same bikers that Putin. No, rode no, no. These were just oh. these were just decent. These were decent hell's angels. Right. <laughs> okay. They're probably they're probably all accountants now at KPMG. Yeah. Right. But at the time they were bikers. <laughs> they moved on to Harley's. <laughs> exactly. They moved on to Harley's. Yeah. Exactly. They're into brands and shit. <laughs> but what was fascinating with these guys was, it's hard to convey the excitement that they felt as East Germans. Now, remember what was happening. The East Germans, tens of thousands of East Germans, were driving their Trabants via Czechoslovakia to Hungary to get out because the Hungarians yeah. had actually opened the border. Yeah, yeah. So there was an amazing sense in East Germany that there was a change coming, right? These were bikers. And I asked them, were they going to Hungary? They said, no, 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 we're just here for the crack, right? They were just, they were touring <laughs> around in a, in a biker yeah. gang, right? But they were all in unison about the fact that Gorbachev had changed their world profoundly. And they said to us, the Russians won't kill us. And I thought this was an amazing expression, right? And I said, how do you mean? And they said, Gorbachev has said that they won't use the army or has it indicated they won't. Right. So the sense of freedom and liberation and excitement that those average East Europeans felt on those nights, those summer nights in Czechoslovakia, were because a man had emerged at the leader of the Soviet Union and he had indicated that he would not intervene. And he never said this okay, at that so stage. Was this... Prior or after our friend Ronald Reagan said this. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I think, God, Reagan. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about... He was the man. Well, I think... It, no, it was well, it was after that. But the right. point okay. was... Okay, okay. I, I just wanted to get the, to dates. And... Gorbachev let the genie out of the bottle, which was 
you can be free. You can have your own opinions. You can eventually vote for whoever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can criticize us. Now, for East Germans, this was an enormous liberation. And it changed the whole dynamic because suddenly Russia becomes the place where you can be free and East Germany and Czechoslovakia are the places that you still will be harassed by the police as evidenced by what happened to those guys earlier that night. Yeah. Now, that always struck me, that effervescence, that excitement, just the energy that happens when you tell people who've been suffering under dogma that you can be free, to be whoever you want to be. Yeah. Now... After carrying in the corner for so many years. For so many years. So, and, I, and I think that what Gorbachev understood was the energy of personal mutiny. This is what I think he understood. Mm. That deep inside this was a guy who figured out we can't suppress our peoples all the time. That is the wrong thing to do. And that, I think, was basically what Gorbachev was all about. And then, of course, part and parcel of that was him saying to Reagan... Okay, let's end this Cold War. Yeah, this this whole thing about himself and Reagan getting together. Like, yeah. tell us about that. How did that happen? Well, it happened because they had these things called assault talks, strategic. So I can't remember what the expression was. Right. But bizarrely, about twelve years ago, maybe about ten years ago, I ended up doing a documentary for Australian television. And because the Aussies have loads and loads of money, you can go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So I said to them, well, you know, it was during when the, when the crisis happened in, in, in Iceland. So it was 2009, actually. So it was yeah. a long time, 12, 13 years ago. And I said, look, Iceland is a very interesting country. They've had a massive banking crisis. Let's go to Iceland. They said, oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah, mate, yeah, whatever. up there. So we go up to Iceland. But I did a piece of camera outside this place. But then I paid homage at the tiny little hut in Reykjavik, where Gorbachev and Reagan went into this tiny hut. It's a really unprepossessing, wooden, very Scandinavian sort of little, like a bungalow. Yeah, yeah. In Reykjavik. Big, huge field outside it. Behind it is the harbour, then a big, big mountain. But in that tiny little bungalow, those two politicians ended the Cold War. They just did it. Wow. They ended it. So therefore, all those oh, proxies... Oh, flying the wall and that. And I was amazed by it. So, of course, I did I did my usual tour and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's my Vatican tour. Yeah. You know, some people do the Vatican, <laughs> I do those sort of places. But what was really fascinating for me was that you think about ending the Cold War. So you're ending wars in Central America. You're ending wars in Africa. You're changing the whole dynamic of the Middle East. You're changing the whole world, right? Mm. And people forget that Gorbachev did all that with Reagan, but they yeah. did it. The two of them said, OK, we can't live like this. But, you know, he did all this and he was, he was absolutely a world changer. And yeah. even, even Putin recently said that. But... A little prick in comparison. OK. No, okay. But no really, you know, like... like you know, Message to Putin. Yeah. <laughs> Vlad, a word in your shell. <laughs> But he wasn't as popular in Russia itself no. as he was here. And there was, I want to talk to you about the coup and Yeltsin's coup. But let's have a chat about that after this. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, Mac, so now we are... Now we're in 1991. Where are you? Please you are still in the Notting Hill Carnival. Yes, I haven't got out of Notting exactly. Hill at that stage. Because it's, it's, it's the same time. It's August 1991. Yeah. You're in the Notting Hill Carnival. <laughs> Again. Your old mate <laughs> is in Russia, learning Russian. So I moved to a little village called Novi Ruza, which is on the road to Smolensk, which is basically the, the westward road from Belarusia, which is now Belarusia. Yeah bits of Ukraine up towards Moscow, yeah, right? Yeah. Smolensk being the big city. It's the place the Germans took in July of 1941, which scared the shit out of everyone because they thought if they took Smolensk, they're going to take Moscow. Okay. Uh, but they didn't. And the main Moscow defences were put up around this little village. Well, these series of little towns. So that place, for, for students of history will know, uh, is defined by a town called Borodino, which is right beside it beside Rusa, and it's in Borodino that Napoleon was stopped. So okay. it was a... Okay. And, and the Germans were stopped around the same place. I told you before, they used to call me Hitler. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which meant Hitler, because it, there was a Western with red hair, and they, as far as they were seeing, red hair, blonde hair, it's kind of German-looking. Yeah. And the old babushka was like, who are you? Some old Hitler is here, right? And I was like, who's Hitler? It's like, Hitler, oh yeah. That's really nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that name will really stick. Anyway... But I've, I'm, I'm there learning Russian, devoted to all this, thinking about this part of the world. And there's a coup in Moscow against Gorbachev. And at yeah. this stage, Gorbachev is unpopular with liberals for not having gone far enough and profoundly unpopular with old communists for dismantling the whole state. Yeah. And the coup is the old communists, the old Stalinists, Largely in the army. I remember the footage. Yeah, it was, uh, it was of, bizarre of tanks footage. lined across the bridge yep. and just bombing the parliament. Yep. And uh, the same bridge where I think they disposed of Rasputin's body. Oh. That's now, a, there's another a thing. The little segue there. <laughs> but anyway, I'm in Russia. And of course, yes, there's a free press or, well, incredibly free press. That's what kind of happens when you take the lid off it. 
Yeah. It was a bit like the internet before the internet. Every fucking Egypt has a newspaper. Yes. Right? So yeah, it's yeah, Twitter, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think this and I think that. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Loads of stuff and cats and things. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, they weren't. The great thing about the Russians, they weren't big into the cats. Actually, the Ukrainians are big into cats, apparently. And dogs. No, really? really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you talk to people, there's a hell of a lot of Ukrainians come with their, with their pets. Anyway. Bring um, it right back, Mac. Bring it right back. But the interesting thing is that the Soviet Union was collapsing at that stage. And the way in which, you know, we in the West, like, oh, the Soviet Union collapsed, and you think about it in geostrategic ways or political ways or whatever. But actually, when you were in Russia, what made you aware that something was going wrong in the society is you became hungry. Literally hungry. You started to run out of food. Right. The supply chains. If you think about the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union was the centrally planned economy, which meant that one person at the top Right, was anointing where all the resources went, mm. as opposed to our economy, which is the market-based economy, which is a market coming up from the bottom. Yep. So you have a top-down yep. yep. system versus a bottom-up system. If a bottom-up system becomes impacted by a change in politics, it still works. If a top-down system changes at the top, it falls apart. Mm. And what happened in Russia was that the food supply system of the centrally planned organization began to unravel. So suddenly there were longer queues and longer queues for butter, for bread, for meat. And then suddenly there was nothing. And in the village in Ruza, people started, originally were like, yeah, okay, a bit anxious about things. And then people started to panic. Yeah. And I had brought about five, you know, like this big boxes of Marlboro Reds. Do you remember the big boxes of Marlboro (laughs) Reds? Getting duty free. Yeah. And if it wasn't for them in that autumn, I'd be eating the cigarettes. Well, you were just, you were just trading. Yeah. We were trading fags for, for food. Jesus. And, and you just think, you know, if you hadn't got those smokes, what would have happened to you? Nothing would have happened to you, but you'd have lost a few pounds. Would you? <laughs> Could have done with that, Mac. But anyway. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But, but did you not have thoughts of going, I'm getting out of here? But Take me to the airport. Of, no, because you see, again. Give me a trabant. An extraordinary thing about it is like, I or, remember. Or Dnieper. I rang my M72. mother. Yeah, exactly. Dnieper and M72. We go. I used to have to place a call at the post office in Moscow to ring the West. And I'd place a call to ring my mother, mm. right? To ring Alice. Yeah. And about every third Sunday, yeah. that's all you were allowed. And you would turn up at the major post office in Moscow, right? Yeah. And you'd go into a little booth and the phone would ring. Yeah. And your mother would pick up. Yeah. Alice is on the phone. And and that was it. That was the only way you asked. There was, there was, there was, there was obviously no mobile phones, no internet, nothing. Sure, yeah, yeah. So you were completely and utter isolated. You was, nobody could talk to you. Like you, you couldn't, you couldn't say, oh, I think uh, it's a bit changeable here. Can I have a one-way airflot ticket out? Yeah, That just didn't happen. But then you think that sort of chaos if the food supply begins to break down, no politicians can survive. And interestingly, so the coup was in August 91 when I arrived there. Mm. I left there in November 91 and that particular village. And on Christmas Day 91, Gorbachev dissolved the Soviet Union and it yeah. disappeared. Soviet Union lasted less than 70 years. When you think about it, the Soviet Union was set up in 1922, exactly the same year as our state. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Only didn't even last seventy years, and yet the legacy is still being fought over yes. in in Kiev and Kherson and Kharkiv, all these places. I mean, what's going on now 
is the last war of the Soviet Union in Ukraine. But by 1991, Gorbachev was gone. But all his changes were not unraveled. But let me ask you about those changes, because, like, he had this, as you said, he had this kind of yearning and deep kind of instinct for democracy and stuff. Yeah. But what was his plan? What was his was economic no plan? plan? The, the problem, I think the major problem was there was no economic plan. They were beguiled by and persuaded by American IMF libertarians yeah. who believed in the free market. And all you've got to do is sell everything to somebody else and liberate prices and everything will be fine. And what actually happened was the opposite, is that people on very average wages, suddenly if you have fixed prices for years and years and years and yeah. you liberate them, prices, the natural tendency of prices to go upwards, right? Just as before they resettle. Sure. And suddenly people's currency were worthless, their pay packets were worthless, they started to starve. Alcohol rates went through the roof. Russian mortality rates went through the floor. I mean, really weird things happened wow. in Russia. And you contrast this with China. So the Chinese are looking at Russia all the time, the Soviet Union. They're thinking, that's not the way to go. Right. We want to get rich. We want to have a 30-year yeah. plan. We do want to compete with the outside world. We do want our own industries. But China imposed price controls on almost everything, everything material. Yeah. So in Russia, for example, they gave away oil, coal, gas, all but, the raw materials. I suppose it was, it was, and that was under advice from the West. Right, but I suppose it was a case of this had never been done before. This was virgin territory for everybody. And I think the Chinese thought, yeah, it's never been done before, so let's do it very slowly. Yeah, yeah. So they learned from the Russian learned, mistakes. Absolutely. The, the Chinese, everything the Chinese did from the late 80s to the mid-90s was the opposite of what the Russians did. Every yeah. single thing. So did Gorbachev... Tiananmen Square being a good example as well. Yes. Gorbachev would never have done that. And do you think that Gorbachev has got a bad rap, as a, as a, yeah. particularly in Russia? Yeah, he's got a very bad rap in Russia. I can understand Russians thought, hold on a second, we had the second largest economy in the world. We were the superpower. We went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the United States. People gave us respect. We were a proper country. We'd also defeated the Nazis. We defeated the Nazis, yeah. not the Americans, yes. not the British. Yeah, yeah. We did it. We destroyed the most despicable regime. We did it. And to end up with your sisters as prostitutes in the West, having no money, having a society that's completely collapsed, having free elections, but free nothing else. Yeah. A lot of Russians said, no, we want a centralised power. And Gorbachev, obviously, was the person they blame. But did he do the right thing, though? I think he did the right thing, because I met him. And when I met him in 2002, so I interviewed him in 2002 here, and he was, I mean, yeah, of course I was a fanboy, but, you know, when you're trying to be a journalist, you can't be a fanboy. Mm. But what was amazing about Gorbachev was his personal warmth, his charm. You know, I've said it before, and I said to Shan after I met him, I said, he had these kindest, and it sounds really weird and so unscientific, it's really emotional, but these kindest eyes, like these really 
he was a soft person. He was a kind person, mm. you know, and you could irradiate that. And we sat and we chatted and he was talking about, I was talking about being in Russia early in the, in, in the 80s and then being in Novi Ruza and I talked to him about all these stories I've told now. Yeah. And he was like fascinated and he was, he was like, wow, you were there and this is interesting and what do you think? But deep down you could see that he was a, a kind person and, and he did the right thing. And that's the most important thing. And now, you know, people in Ireland say, well, the fascinating thing in Ireland is we were a huge beneficiary of the fall of the Berlin Wall, of Gorbachev. Nobody thought at the time. Right. Everyone thought that the countries that would do really well were Poland, which I've done quite well, mm. Hungary, Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia at the yeah. time, even some of the Croatia, Slovenia, those sort of places, all of them quite okay. But those countries wedged between Russia and Germany. Everyone said they would do well. Nobody said that this pissy little island in the Atlantic. So how did that happen then? So everyone thought the Americans would invest in the new Europe, but they'd put their foreign investment in Poland, in Czech, in the former East Germany, right? Mm. In parts of Russia. Yeah. But the Americans took one look at these places and said, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. We don't want that. But what we want is a country that is like us, but has free access to those people. So basically the American said is, how do we get their market without actually having to go in and live amongst them? We'll invest in Ireland. And from Ireland, we will conquer those areas. Right. And that's exactly what they've done. So American capital came into Ireland and then American products went to Europe. But in return, East European and former Russian talent went the other way and came here. Right. So we got this huge influx of Poles, of Czechs, of people from all over Latvia, Lithuania, the Baltics, all these places. If you think about it, like all of West Dublin, right? Yeah. Loads of West Dublin. So we got their talent and we got the American capital, which was seeking their markets. So the country that has done by far the best, indirectly and directly, since the fall of the Berlin Wall, isn't East Germany or isn't Poland or isn't it? It's Ireland. We got the best of all worlds. And then you ask about, you know, Gorbachev doing the right thing. And yeah, could he have done other things? Yeah. Could they have done things? Yeah, of course. But what I think is when you go out to parts of Ireland yeah. and you have Polish kids, Lithuanian kids, Latvian kids, Russian kids, right, mm. playing football here, living their lives. Their parents are free to live here, right? That's the evidence that Gorbachev did the right thing because he always put people first, not ideology, not big systems, not money, actually. He put people first. And the evidence is all over Western Europe. It is the freedom of those East Europeans who were locked in a prison called the Soviet Union, the Soviet bloc, for 70 years, until Gorbachev came along. While I have you there, listen, I just want to say thank you so much to all our Patreons who really supported myself and John throughout the last nearly three years. Three man. years, wow. Oh, it's a long time. I thought it only started last week. It's such good crack, though, isn't it? Is, it is, it is, it is. It's like, it's like having the dream gig. You know? <laughs> thank you very, very much. And if you do want to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. You get ad-free, you get courses, you get chats, you can ask me questions, 
all sorts of stuff, and you really become part of the gang. So that's patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. And again, thank you very much. Thank you.